An interesting topic of conversation, maybe for a different setting, but certainly a much longer conversation, would be the idea of ministerial regret. Pastor here for 14 years, one of the things you could look back and wish, man, I wish I would have done it differently. A multitude of things I would change, things that I would do differently now with greater wisdom or maybe greater growth, hopefully greater godliness along the way, but a multitude of things that I would change. But there is one particular idea uh, that I wish I would have done from the very beginning. If I had only known, I still would not have been able to do it because I'm not an organized enough person, but I would love, would have loved to keep a chart of every single prayer request made on a Wednesday night. And in that chart, have it marked on the side if it was answered yes, no, or later. All of them, from the miraculous to the mundane, we've seen them, haven't we? I've done the math, I think I've been here for roughly just under 700 Wednesday night prayer meetings. How many thousands of yeses have we received? Now, some don't know the story of this church. This church was planted out of that prayer meeting. That was kind of how this church began. It was with an emphasis on two things. One was prayer and the other was missions, foreign missions specifically. But that Wednesday night prayer meeting is what became Christ Cornerstone, which eventually became Christ Ridge. And I will say it's one of the most uh, important things attracted me to this church. I come from the school of pastoring. I was taught by one of my uh, my second favorite professors that uh, you don't even consider churches that don't have prayer meetings. If the church doesn't have a prayer meeting, you don't go pastor. One, they don't have the power of God. Two, you don't have people that are committed to God. Don't go pastor a church that doesn't have a prayer meeting. This church has been a church that has prayed and prayed continually. And it's amazing, you think about it actually, for those that have been here a long time, how many different humans are in this building right now because of miraculous answers to prayer that shouldn't be here. I'm counting at least three that I can see from where I'm standing. I'd love to have kept track of the thousands of answers that God has given. I mean, the stories, that, that we ought to do that sometime for flocks, just tell stories of the various ways that God has answered prayers in the life of this church. You see, uh, prayer has always been, and uh, to the best of our session's ability, will always be one of the most important pieces of this church. And it makes sense why, because it's powerful and the Lord uses it, but even more so within the context of the theological kind of position of Scripture. Of the last two weeks, we've looked at kind of what is the mission of the church? What is the church supposed to be. And interestingly, there's, what, 100 churches in Fort Mill? There's probably 70 different versions of what the church is supposed to be, what the mission of the church is. And we've said from the very beginning, what, what is the mission of the church? Well, it's first and foremost to make disciples, and the way that we make disciples is by the gathering and perfecting of the saints. That's who we are. That's what we are as a church, the gathering and perfecting of the saints. It's almost like it's important to us. 
But the question then becomes, again, implementation. How do you gather and perfect the saints? How do you make disciples? How do you go about doing what you do? And in Westminster Shorter Catechism, I think, gives this answer. We referenced it in Sunday school this morning. But what are, Westminster Shorter Catechism 88, what are the outward means whereby Christ communicates to us the benefits of redemption? What are the mechanisms that God uses to give us the benefits of Christ? Now, interestingly, the benefits of Christ are inseparable from the person of Christ. So, what what are the mechanisms that God uses to give me Jesus? The outward and ordinary means whereby Christ communicates to us the benefits of redemption are his ordinances specifically, especially word, sacraments, and prayer, all of which are made effectual for the elect for their salvation. Word, sacraments, prayer. Looked at the word last week, specifically preaching, looking at prayer this week, and a couple of weeks we're going to look at sacraments. God uses prayer to give us the benefits of redemption. God uses prayer to give us Christ himself. We're going to look at that specifically in Ephesians 4 just briefly. The situation here in Ephesians 4 is one that uh, it's probably a really common passage. Many of you have probably read it. Many of you probably have it memorized. It's the best kind of passage to try to preach, the one that everybody has already memorized, so nobody has anything new to learn because, right, we've already figured it all out about the Bible. But the context here is of a church that obviously has some sorts of struggles, and certainly one of the great problems they have is that the pastor who has done so much for them and ministered to them is currently in prison, and they're having to wrestle with what does it mean to be a Christian when days are not easy? What does it mean to be a Christian when life gets hard? What does it, excuse me, what does it mean to be a Christian when the Romans persecute you? What does it mean to be a Christian? when things don't go the way that we want. And put differently, maybe in a more applicable way today, what does it mean to be a Christian when you're unhappy? What does it mean to be a Christian when you're unhappy? Well, uh, Paul here very famously gives uh, the correction from the very beginning that we understand, do not be anxious. That's the command, the imperative. Just don't be anxious, which some of us, that's the counsel we often give people, just stop. Funny enough, they never stop. (laughs) Just telling people to stop doesn't seem to work, and so interestingly, with the command to stop, he then gives uh, the action coupled with it. Don't be anxious, but instead pray. Yes, I know that you're having this uh, difficult situation. Yes, I know that you have this problem. Yes, I know that I'm currently in prison, as Paul's writing. Yes, I know all of the difficulties that we want to talk about, and there is such a temptation for us to be preoccupied with anxiety. Now, the word here in the original, it's the idea of caring for something so much that it becomes consuming, right? Which is interesting because it, it doesn't, it's used actually previously in the book in a very positive way. It, it's not necessarily what you would think of only as sinful worry. 
More probably what he's getting at here is, is caring for a thing so much that it becomes kind of, it disorders our priorities. It begins to disorder our thoughts. It begins to consume more of who we are than what we would like to admit. Maybe for some of us, this might look like the kind of classic signs of anxiety, right? Your hands sweat, your heart beats fast, you get a little nervous and a little shifty and you want to be somewhere else. Some of this might look like a a, a kind of just deep-seated, smoldering hurt that just won't seem to go away. Some of us, this looks like thoughts that kind of continually intrude into our minds, where it's like, no matter how much I want to stop thinking about this thing, it just continues to kind of intrude and invade and consume Some of us, perhaps, this looks like we come home from work and we're cranky and we just don't know why. Because we are caring too much about the things of the world. Interestingly, the command, the imperative, stop! Stop having disordered desires. Stop being uh, caring for things too much so that they begin to disorder your heart. They begin to distort your desires, distort the way that you're supposed to be. Stop. But it's not a cold turkey stop. It's a stop with replace. Stop with the disordered anxiety, with the disordered worry, and instead fill with prayer. Now, this is a passage, again, that many of us have thought about many times, and okay, great, I know I'm not supposed to be anxious about anything, but in everything, I'm supposed to pray. Okay, great, thanks. That's obvious. I appreciate that. The interesting thing, though, is what Paul does as looking at what the the response is. Why does prayer fix anxiety? Why does prayer fix worry? Why does prayer fix a heart that cares for the wrong things? And the Sunday school answer, which is correct, but not what's being talked about here, prayer works. It changes things. You're having a tough time with that boss? Pray for that boss. The Lord will change them having a tough time with that sickness, pray for that sickness. The Lord may change it. Yes, that, that is all throughout the Bible. But interestingly, that's not where Paul goes here. And in fact, I think this is actually the bigger emphasis in Scripture, and it's the far more important one. Prayer is the cure for anxiety, worry, and disordered affections. Why? Because prayer changes me. Prayer changes me. I mean, yet the Lord uses it to change things out there, but more than anything, prayer changes me. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your heart and will guard your mind in Christ Jesus. It has nothing to do with the circumstances. It has everything to do with changing me, changing how I think, 
changing how I feel, changing how I act. Prayer changes me. You see, this is the emphasis in the means of grace. The means of grace, we talked about, they're the mechanisms that God uses to give the benefits of redemption to people. They're the mechanisms, the the various methods that God uses to give blessings to his children, specifically to give himself. Christ is the substance of the blessings. All the other things are kind of pointing to him, fulfilled in him. How does God give Christ to you? We, We talked about it last week. He does it in the Word. And we understand that. If you want to know about who God is, you have to go to this book. It's the only place inside creation that you can find out that Jesus loves you. It's the only place inside creation you can find out that Jesus went to the cross for your sins and what that even matters, why that means anything at all. The only way you can find out what sin even is is the content of this book. God uses his word as as the vehicle, the mechanism to change us. And we understand that kind of intuitively. That's why we talk about your daily Bible reading. It, It changes you. But the interesting thing is that's not the way we often speak of prayer. We speak of prayer as changing them, as changing it, as changing whatever it is that's bothering me as the primary thing that's taking place. And you see, what's happening there, friends, that's not a means of grace when you think of prayer as only changing the externals. That's a a means of warfare. It's a a means of changing the world. But it's not a means of grace because then it's not changing you. And you're missing the, the main point of what prayer is in the Scriptures. Prayer is first and foremost a means that God uses to change us. And I suspect this is reflected in many of our lives. Because realistically, I understand we are, most of us Americans, and one of the things that Christianity in America has not flourished in doing is prayer. We just don't, right? You want to go to a church that prays, go to South Korea. The Korean Presbyterians, lovely people, they pray in a way that will just kind of melt us, right? Regularly, they'll have a week-long prayer where the church will be filled with people praying for 24 hours a day, all the time. Their prayer meetings will run four or five hours, six hours at a time, where they'll pray the whole time. No singing, no taking prayer requests, just pray for six hours as a church. We tend to struggle with that, and I I suspect part of it, again, is because we have been so good at emphasizing that prayer changes events, our prayers are only connected to events. Meaning, I'll back it up, Unless I have something bad happening, I don't pray. If my prayers are primarily a mechanism of correcting what's wrong in the world, I'm only going to pray when something's wrong. Right? When I'm running late and I need green lights to make it to my appointment, I'll pray for good traffic. When I'm sick and I don't feel good, I'll, I'll pray for my sickness. When my heart is hurting and I'm weary and I'm sad, I'll pray for my sadness. 
But interestingly, in all of this, what am I doing? It's a prayer that is only connected to the circumstances. And notice, I'm not saying you shouldn't do those prayers. Please continue. (laughs) Please continue. But to understand that that's like it's only half of the thing. That's like having a meal where you sit down and you're like, great, I would like vegetable, but I don't want any of the steak and I don't want any of the dessert. I mean, vegetables are great. I would prefer to have the steak and the dessert with them. You're missing the vast majority of what's actually designed to take place. Because we oftentimes forget that God is constantly using prayer to change me, it makes it hard for us to constantly pray. I mean, you think about it. Let's be honest. Everybody in the room, well, not everybody, because I don't know all of you yet. I would assume this is the case. Almost everybody in the room walked in and thought, you know, I should pray more. Almost nobody in here is actually going to disagree with that sentence. But interestingly, almost everybody that walks in the room is going to go, I know I should pray more, but I don't. And then if we were to actually sit down and have a converse, an honest conversation about why, some of us would say, well, I don't know what to say, which is really funny because God knows your heart anyways, say anything. Some of us would say, I don't know when to do it. Well, really, you can pray anytime, ideas without ceasing. But I would really suspect at the end of the day, honestly, if we're going to be truthful with, with what's going on in our hearts, we're going to say, well, I, I believe prayer changes things, but I don't have things that I have to lift up necessarily. Or I just don't care about them. And it's intriguing because we're missing a huge part of what's taking place in prayer. That God, He uses certainly to reshape events. I'm here because you prayed. I would be dead otherwise. I know this. He uses prayer to change events, but even more than that, he uses them to change us. Look, this is really intriguing, in fact, I, I think. Is specifically in this what he tells them prayer will do. Rather than being filled with anxiety, rather than being filled with worry, rather than having disordered desires where you're, you're, you're desiring good things in the wrong way or too much, instead, what happens God, verse 7, will give you peace. Specifically, the peace that surpasses all human understanding. And he's going to use that peace to guard your heart and to guard your mind in Christ Jesus, in your union with Christ. That in Christ Jesus is a buzzword for Paul, talking about how we're united to Christ Jesus. So what what is prayer doing according to verse 7? When you pray, you are in union with Christ, and in that union with Christ, you are being reshaped into God's very character. This is intriguing. Peace. Where where does peace come from? Well, God is peace. Isaiah chapter 9, Jesus is the prince of peace. But what's happening in verse 7 is this God who is peace, the prince of peace, is actually sharing his character with me so that I am being made new 
in his image, in his character. If you were going to think about this kind of maybe a different way, you would say that what prayer is actually doing at its core, it's uniting me to Christ and shaping me into the image of the fruit of the Spirit. You want to be a person that has joy, pray. You want to be a person who has peace, pray. You want to be a person who has self-control, pray. If you want to be a person who has faithfulness, pray. If you want to be a person who has goodness or gentleness, pray. If you want to love and hope, you pray because this is one of the mechanisms that God uses to take His character and make it your character. It's formative and transformative. It reshapes and renews. And again, I suspect our prayer life might be a little different if we thought about it from that perspective. That prayer not only changes me, point one, but it changes me into God's character, point two. That when we pray with a A submissive heart to the Lord. Here we have qualifications. We'll talk about those in a moment. When we pray in the way that we're designed to pray, what God is doing is is remaking our character into a way that looks more and more like His. And it's funny because if we, if we kind of honestly again, have this kind of moment of just candid conversation, if we were to back out in our Christianity and take the 30,000-foot the view and observe ourselves, would we say our number one regret in life is that I didn't look more like Jesus? That's what I'd love. Again, how many Christians do you know that are like, I, I wish I looked less like Jesus? I have more fun? No, you don't. You're more miserable. Everybody is. That's how it works. We wish to be more like Christ, and how do we become more like Christ? We pray. We pray. Now, intriguingly here, I think is actually, again, Paul is explaining to us part of the mechanism of how that prayer works. Like, what is, how does it make us more into the image of God, into the image of Christ, into his character? Well, I think that's where verse 6, the qualifications are so important. Do not be anxious about anything. There's the, the worry, the wrongly ordered desires. But in everything, does it just say, just ask? I mean, the scriptures are very clear, ask. You don't have because you don't ask. Very, very clear, but that's not actually the point here. The point here is that there's various parts involved in prayer. Prayer specifically with supplication and specifically with thanksgiving. There's there's multiple parts. Why? And again, I'm I'm not going to say that one-liner prayers are bad, But because what's being hinted at here is that prayer is, at its essential level, a conversation taking place between God and man. It's a dialogue. It's not a monologue. 
we speak to God, our hearts, trying to shape them after His Word the best of our ability. We speak to Him our worries. We speak to Him our fears, our concerns, our hopes, our dreams, our thanksgivings. All of the things that are in our heart, we deliver them to the Lord. And friends, He speaks back in His Word. It's a dialogue. We're trying to teach you that actually every Sunday. You might not realize that that's why our order of worship is built the way that it's built. God speaks to us. We speak back to him today. He spoke to us Psalm 84. Better is one day in God's courts than a thousand elsewhere. That is a great truth. Some of us really struggle to believe it. So we go to the Lord in prayer. Last part of my prayer, that opening prayer, was to ask God to send us his spirit to help us believe that so that we would be ready to worship him. We, we worshiped him, we prayed in song, but then I led us in prayer after that. Now, interestingly, what happened in response to our request that God would help us worship him? He spoke to us. More of a southern accent than I have. Reading Ephesians 6. Challenging us to think about how God provides, even in prayer. Well, you know what? In thinking about that, I kind of realize I don't pray the way I ought. In fact, actually, I need forgiveness because I've been told to pray without ceasing. I don't do that. So you know what? We need to confess sin, and that's what we did. We prayed together, confessing the Lord's Prayer. Then we even made a request. Lord of the Sabbath, we need you to hear us pray even today. Our prayers need to be heard, heard in Christ and Christ alone. So what happened? God spoke to us in his word in Jude, verses 20 through 25, specifically, even saying that closing benediction, the doxology, that God will bless you, will keep you. He loves you. He's making you clean even now. And what a great truth we should sing about it. What a friend we have in Jesus. You see, it's a dialogue. That's what prayer is designed to be. A conversation in the presence of God. And you see, really, the conversation part we kind of partially get, though honestly we really, to be truthful, we like to forget that God speaks through his word. We like to think that he speaks through our emotions. He doesn't. He speaks through his word. Our emotions are unreliable at best, downright deceptive most of the time. He speaks back to us through his word. But the big thing here is where this prayer takes place. I mean, sure, it takes place when I'm driving here in the morning or when your head's on the pillow before you go to bed. It takes place when your child is misbehaved again and you need a little bit more patience. It takes place when you've gotten that bad grade and you're like, oh, how are mom and dad going to take this? Or when you flip over the test and look at the first question and you're like, I don't know any of these words. Much less what they mean when they're put in that order. <laughs> but we forget that the prayer is actually a conversation with God that takes place in heaven. 
I mean, sure, it takes place in the classroom, and it takes place in here, and it takes place in our cars, and it takes place in our studies, and it, but it takes place in heaven. Because remember, I said, what is that purpose of that means of grace? It, it's to unite us to Christ. Christ the mediator. And what is Christ the mediator even doing right now? Well, friends, he's seated at the right hand of the Father in heaven, interceding on your behalf and interceding on my behalf. So when we pray, whether we realize it or not, whether we're disrespectful or not, whether we care or not, there is an aspect of prayer in which in Christ Jesus, you and me are being taken into the throne room of God to admire his beauty there. And you wonder why prayer is formative. Every time we do it, whether, again, this is the fun part, this is amazing. Whether you realize it or not doesn't change the reality that every time we pray in Christ, we're being taken into the presence of God himself and we're going to be changed. You can't be in his presence and not be remade. It's like taking, being taken directly in front of the sun. You don't go directly in front of the sun and not come away a different person. Most likely blind, burned everywhere. You've been made different. You're, you're not good marks in that case, but you don't get in that kind of light and not be reshaped. In prayer, we're being brought into the very presence of God and to his glory, into his throne room, and being changed. And you can't help but be different. Now, I know some of us are like, but I mean, honestly, Michael, I've been praying my whole life and I don't feel any different. I haven't noticed any difference. It doesn't feel any different. Okay, fair enough. But some of us in the room have young kids or have had young kids or hopefully will have young kids at some point. And you notice that those children never realize when they're growing. But it seems like every third day you come home from work and you're like, what happened to you? Where did that extra inch come from? You're taller. Did you grow overnight? What happened? Like last week you were this big. Now you're this big. What happened? The vast majority of growth can't be observed when you're the one growing. It's hard to quantify growth when you're the one growing. Now, people on the outside see it. People on the outside notice the change, but you yourself, it's oftentimes hard to observe. Prayer changes us into the image of Christ by bringing us into God's presence through Christ. Two brief comments need to be made on that. One, not all prayer does this. There are lots of people that say they do things of prayer. Devout people of different religions. It does not work, friends, because this is prayer that is united in Christ. That's why, actually, the catechism, right, uh, I think it was before or after, I can't remember which, the question we looked at, how does the Spirit help us pray? Well, it's prayer in Christ. 
You see, what's taking place is that we're being ushered into the very presence of God. And if you're going to be ushered into the presence of God, if you are not united to Christ, friends, that is a terrifying place to be. God's presence apart from Christ is a place of judgment and a place of wrath. But in Christ, it's a place of adoption and joy and hope and love and affection. This is why the cross is so significant. One of the ancillary benefits is that we are equipped to pray and to praise beloved children. Two, this is, again, kind of, it's a, an, a process of being united. Now, the scriptures talk about this a lot of different words. They'll use words like abiding in. That's the word that John likes to use to abide in Christ. Paul likes to use the, the clause in Christ. But again, this idea of being united. It's not a prayer of self. It's a prayer in Christ. It remakes his people. Now, why does that matter? <laughs> why spend an entire sermon, or most of one at least, talking about an aspect of prayer that maybe we don't think about quite as often? Well, a couple of reasons. One, uh, as your pastor, I love you, and I've tried to do my best to teach you in the spots that you're weak. And I suspect most of us are very good at crisis prayers. Oh, no, something bad is happening. It's time to pray. Again, I'm literally standing here because you're good at that. If you weren't good at that, I don't think I'm probably standing here. Last October probably would have been it. I do suspect, however, that many of us struggle with the intimacy and adoration prayers. Just the ones where we sit down with God to talk, to just relate. I'll I'll use a bit of an obnoxious example on brand for me, I know. It, It would be to say that as a married couple, they excel at fighting but they don't ever have pleasant conversations just about life. Like, you do a really good job solving the big things, but you don't ever talk about the normal and ordinary things. And you married people, is that a fun marriage? The only things y'all do really well is have arguments? Some of you are like, I've been there, it ain't fun. Some of you are very uncomfortably hoping the pastor doesn't look at you right now. But you see, what we're missing is part of the joy of being with Christ. The joy of being in dialogue with God. The the joy of being in fellowship with Him. We do a great job of maybe the arguing with Him. The crisis. But maybe not the sweetness. I suspect also, though, this is a topic that perhaps I ought to do a better job of talking about in the future, Because I'm going to acknowledge that we live in a a culture that excels at stimulating people. We mentioned this in Sunday School. We we have all of the stimulation, the different stimuli, the the, the various lights and and things that just design to draw our attention. And honestly, there's parts of the Bible that do a fantastic job of that. Wow. Prayer, not so much. (laughs) Prayer is one of those actual endeavors that you actually have to stop and breathe 
and think and focus. It's a thing that you have to stop and talk. Be ready to listen to God's Word. It's a thing that's by definition quiet. I don't know if you've caught it, but our our nation doesn't do quiet very well anymore. And I don't know if you've realized that there's a reason for it. It's because when you're quiet, you can actually think. And our nation is terrified of the thoughts that they think when it's quiet. Now, the reality is our session is committed as a church to being busy with the means of grace. That's what we do. That's what Christ Ridge is. A church that's preoccupied with the Word. You'll notice what our pastor's weekly schedule is like. It's built around the Word. But it's a church that's built around not cultivating stimuli, but cultivating prayer. Again, I don't don't know if you've noticed, you notice how many prayers there are? I know your kids notice it. Another one. Because it changes us. It changes us into the image of God. Lastly, it's why actually, interestingly, we're trying to cultivate as a session not just an attitude of prayer, but an attitude of prayer that's not solely in response to circumstances. Now, this is one of the little tricks that I did years ago, but you'll notice in our order of worship, Tom mentioned it today beautifully. What a lovely prayer. What a lovely prayer. We pray through the Psalter. We pray through the Psalms. Why do we pray through the Psalms? Because even in that endeavor, what we're trying to do is we're trying to pray through God's Word instead of letting our circumstances constantly dictate that to us. And interestingly, we do that Wednesday night. Wednesday night, we take prayer meeting. At prayer meeting, we sing 15 minutes. We take prayer requests for 15 minutes. And then we pray for those prayer requests and all of the other prayer requests that anybody can send in. We pray for them all every Wednesday night. But specifically on Sunday morning, part of what we're trying to do is to cultivate the intimacy aspect of prayer. That in prayer, I'm united to Christ, and I'm made new. Now, some of you, today is a very special day. It's a day where families get together and enjoy meals. Some of you, today is a day of panic because you didn't prepare, and I get that. I'm not mad at you either. But for those that enjoy holidays, if you have them, with family, whether it's this one or another one, Thanksgiving, that's our, one of our family favorites. We usually enjoy meals together and sitting around and talking together. The sitting around and talking together is always the best. It's the family activity. You realize that's what prayer is in the church. It's on our weekly holiday one day out of seven, where we sit around and have a family conversation with our Father. It doesn't always have to be an emergency, but it always needs to be intimate. 
As we go to our Father with supplication and thanksgiving, He listens and He answers in His Word. Father in heaven, we thank You for this great privilege of prayer and that You use it to make us more and more into the image of Christ. We confess that our faith is very weak. If we believed that with our hearts, we'd pray a lot. But we don't, and we know that it's because a lot of times we just don't believe prayer really is what it is. That is our sin, and we confess it, and we thank you that there is forgiveness in Christ. Lord, even now, would you change our hearts and give us delight in even what the idea of what prayer is, even as we sing a prayer now. In Jesus' name, amen.